Welcome to the Photo Pros Podcast. You'll hear insights and anecdotes on the careers and lives of world-class photographers from all genres. Let's get inspired. Here's your host, Rob Noel. Hey, welcome and thank you for joining me here on the Photo Pros Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Noel. Today's guest likely needs no introduction if you're deep into photography. She's a world-renowned artist and photographer. Her name is Jill Greenberg. Jill was born in Montreal, Canada, but lived most of her creative life in the USA. She's currently an adjunct professor at Brown University, where she's teaching photography and art, I believe. She has published four books. One is called Monkey Portraits. One is called Bear Portraits. There's a Horses book and her seminal series, End Times, which you might know as The Crying Babies. Her works have been uh, exhibited all over the world in galleries and museums in places like Amsterdam, Montreal, Mexico, Paris, Seoul, Toronto, New York, L.A., San Francisco, and many, many, many more. In 2001, she developed a signature lighting setup for her personal work that is still copied to this day. If you were to do a Google search uh, for Jill Greenberg lighting recipe, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, That signature lighting has been copied by photographers worldwide. It's even taught and given as assignments in photography schools. And in fact, the school I teach at gives an assignment for that. She has had a couple of brushes with controversy over the years, but I'm not going to go there in this conversation today. I really want to focus our conversation on Jill's incredible work, her thoughts on her work, and her methods. So let's get right to that interview now. Welcome to the Photo Pros Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Knoll, and this is episode eight. Today, I'm pleased my guest is renowned photographer, artist, Jill Greenberg. Welcome, Jill. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, too. It's great to be here. I guess I should have asked before introducing you, do you prefer to be introduced as photographer or artist, or do you like being both? Um, I like being both, but um, it's an interesting question. I mean, lately, lately I kind of switched it around, especially during COVID. Um, lately, I've been doing you know a lot more art, and my art has been selling, which is nice because there's not very many photo gigs. So um, um, artists maybe can come first. Okay. A lot of people struggle with that as, is, you know, well, can't photography be art? Of course it can. Um, but when you think of photographers, some people think of, oh, do you photograph weddings and portraits and, you know, commercial? But they don't always appreciate that photography can also be fine art. Sure. I mean, of course, photography can be fine art. Um, it depends on what kind of photography it is. I mean, obviously, there's so many different kinds of photography, like so many. Um, and you know, what, I, what I've always done is I've always tried my best um, to separate my fine art from my commercial commissioned work. Um, and, you know, then there's things that are overlap. Like I do commissions of, you know, private portraits of children that look like the crying babies or, but those I sort of lump in with the fine art stuff. I mean, the, the commissioned stuff. Um, I think of that like my artist hat or whatever. But, you know, and I don't think that my work that I do you know, I don't really think that, you know, celebrity portraits um, done on assignment are fine art. It doesn't mean that they might not want, people might want to buy them. People might, if someone wants to buy it, then they're welcome to buy it. I just wouldn't want to um, display it in an art gallery. Um, and then there's this other thing that sort of happens with photography, which is interesting where, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 years down the line, then 
somehow it can sort of transform it transform into art in a way like yep. you know you know pictures that you know Irving Penn shot for Vogue or or Avedon shot for Vogue or whoever you know um, some of those commissioned portraits sort of can become they can sort of become fine art or really that you know maybe they're just becoming um what's the word you know like um collectible collectible like just some sort of a of uh yeah like a some a product that people want i can't remember the word there's there's a word an asset something like that anyway you know just it doesn't necessarily you know for me fine art has to sort of have like layers of meaning ideally you know Mm-hmm. So, but those layers can sort of happen over time anyway. I think it's a really good point that you bring up because I wonder how many of those um, photographers who are no longer with us would be surprised to, to realize some of their commercial work that they got paid for by magazines is now hanging on the walls of people's living room as collectible art. Right. Prob- probably be surprised. They might be surprised. Um, so you did say that, and it says on your website that you straddle the line between your commissioned work, uh, which funds your fine art practice. So in a perfect world, does that mean you'd rather be doing the fine art than the commercial? Or do you sometimes find that when you're shooting commercial, you'd rather be doing art? And when you're doing art, you want to get back to commercial? Does that ever happen? I mean, there's sure there's a little bit of that. I mean, the, the thing is that I like, I actually, I do like doing both. Um, I mean, I love meeting all the different culture makers and all the different creative people. And um, of course, it's like cool to, you know... I shot like season one of *The Handmaid's Tale*, you know, up in Toronto, actually, and uh, and it was it's cool to have a, you know, to have a to create an image that's like an iconic image for a very sort of at the time, you know, at the time very zeitgeisty TV show that is in, impacting culture and um, and have that picture be you know a billboard in Times Square. So I love you know, of course, that's I think almost anybody would love to have that. You know, the stuff that I don't love about the stuff that I don't love about commercial photography is, you know, how much it's changed and the change is not necessarily for the better, you know, mm-hmm. um, I've been, I've been doing it since 1990, you know, 1991 or whatever. And, you know, so I sort of lived through the heyday of uh, print advertising in New York city. And, um, you know, those were fun times. <laughs> yeah. And it has changed. Yes. Can, so for, for photographers listening, they might not understand what that change means. Can you describe what you mean when you say it's changed? Um, changed in terms of, there's a lot of different reasons. Um, changed because, um, you know, back in the day, you know, in the mid 90s, late 90s, early 2000s, before 9-11, um, the, you know, you would images, you would do a shoot for an ad agency and, you know, you own your you own your images, um, and you license them per image for a very specific amount of time. And so back, you know, back then, you know, you could it would be like one image for one year consumer print in North America it would be like around eighteen thousand dollars. You know, or two, or maybe two two years. North America. So then when it became worldwide, it would become more. And then would it become when, you know, multiplied by how many shots, maybe if you four shots, you know, you could make $200,000 in a two day shoot. Um, and now, um, you know, you're lucky if you can get $10,000 for the entire shoot copyright buyout. Mm-hmm. 
Would you say that uh, the digital revolution, as we like to call it, this, the change from, from negative and transparency to digital, do you think that that lowering the barrier contributed to that? Of course. That was yeah. the main thing. Yeah. That was the main thing. Or the other maybe just as big of a deal thing is the the fact that photographers don't have any kind of a union or guild or um, any kind of sort of hard and fast rules for how to set fees mm-hmm. um, because we're not allowed to have a, a union um, because we're independent contractors and um, we own our own copyright in general. So it's, so, so there's a race to the bottom because photography is so fun to do and people including myself still regularly shoot for free because it's fun and because for the exposure and for updating your portfolio. And I'm going to be doing that when I'm like 99. It's good for your portfolio. Um, I'm not, I'm not even joking. Um, And because everyone wants to shoot for free or like, you know, or maybe there's an upside later, like back, you know, back in the day you'd shoot a celebrity for a magazine for not very much money, but then you can make it up on syndication. So a lot of, of those a lot of those paths to monetizing your property your you know your images have changed you know have also you know changed and reduced people don't want to pay you know ten thousand dollars for a cover image maybe for a magazine um everything you know everything's really gone down because everybody loves because photography is so fun and everybody wants to do it for free and because now digitally everyone can do it for much cheaper um and because Photoshop and digital technology makes it so that it's much easier to be a great photographer. Hmm. So my question then is, uh, if you had a crystal ball, like, are, are we painting a dismal future for the fu- future of commercial photography for photographers? Are are we going to acknowledge perhaps that there are more opportunities than before? Or like, where do you see the industry going? Um, you're working in it. You're in New York. You were in LA, came back to New York. That's kind of for most photographers, that's the hub. That's where it all happens. So tell us, where, where's all this going? Um, well, to be clear, I, I came back to New York for my ex-husband's job. Oh, okay. I did not come back for my career. Um, ah. I know that seems confusing because I, I was sort of the, whatever, I was more the breadwinner and stuff anyway, but he had actually had a really great, at the time he had a really amazing job opportunity. Um, that didn't last. The marriage didn't last. And yet I am now still in Manhattan uh, because my kids go to school here and I have just a couple more years. And I'm not sure if I'm going to go back to LA. I'm not sure what's going to happen, but that's all sort of up in the air. Um, but but yeah, I didn't come back for me. I came back for him. Okay. Um, so, and it was, you know, and I was open to it, obviously. Um, but, but what do I, I think that I, I, I think that, yeah, it's going to be hard that when, when everybody, when, when photographers will um, do work for, you know, a hundred dollars that should, that they should be paying, getting, you know, getting paid a thousand dollars for, or getting paid a thousand dollars for something they should be getting paid $10,000 for and giving away all the rights and the, and the copyright. Yeah. I don't, it's, it's not coming back. And, and I don't, I think it's going to continue to get worse every year. I mean, I've seen it continue to get worse every year. Um, and, and then there's, and then, so like, even when you want to sort of stay flexible with your rates and do things for less, there's only like a certain, like, I don't even, you know, I've tried to sort of compete 
for jobs where they say they don't have that much money, but they're like, I don't even understand how people can get the, can do the job for the, for the budget that the client has. Right. Like it doesn't even make sense. Hmm. Um, okay. so, <laughs> so yeah, you shouldn't have me on here if you want, you know, no, no, I, I think it's, flowers. Like, I, I think it's important. <laughs> I, Hey, I like sunshine any time of the day and rainbows too, but I, I like to also be, I like to be real. I like to be honest about these things. And, and so like, for myself, for instance, teaching a class of, of students that want to get into this industry, I, I I tell them, like, I don't ever want to be the guy that squashes anybody's dream. If you want to be a National Geographic photographer, I'm never going to be the guy who tells you you can't be. But you better understand the road that lies ahead of you to be that thing. Yeah. And and so if you want to work in New York as a commercial photographer or an advertising or fashion photographer, you're going to need to be like the the, the, the 2%. Um, you know, of probably people, less than that, probably yeah. less than that. Yeah, you're right. But it means like you really need to have all your ducks in a row. It can't be just that you take great photographs, right? No. And I mean, even forever, it's never been just about the work and, and it's not a meritocracy, not like, and if anyone tells you that life is a meritocracy, they're wrong. Yeah. Um, but it's not about how good the work is. Um, it's about your personality. It's about you as a brand if, as for photography, you yourself become your brand um, mm-hmm. for better, or for worse, you know, um, you know, and you have to keep iterating and, and, and updating your brand. You have to keep, um, and you have to figure out, you have to figure out how to not spend too much money um, testing or, you know, not spend too much money buying. You don't want to buy too much equipment. You don't want to rent a studio or, you know, rent a, studio, you know, by the year for some, for some reason, you know, you, you have to really be good at like budget, budget things, you know, financial things. And you have to be good at managing people. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to be good at, and you have to mostly primarily be good at client relations and, and relations with people. And, um, yeah, uh, and I use that as a jumping board for my next question for you then. You have described yourself and your bio on your website as being um, shy, that you're, you basically call yourself an introvert. And I got to ask, how does that factor in then when you have to be the leader of a team working on a shoot, working with celebrities, stressful time frames? How do you, as a shy introvert, make that work? Um, I mean, I think because I've been doing it for a long time, um, being on being in charge on set, I don't know. That doesn't. That's not a problem for me. Okay. Um, and I something changes. Yeah, I mean, I sort of, I sort of get into work mode, and um, I'm fine. You know, I'm fine. It's just more like on my downtime. You know, I think the definition of an introvert lately I've been reading is more like someone who recharges by being alone as opposed to recharging by being a crowd of people. Mm-hmm. So. Um, or like it's a little bit draining. It can be a little bit draining to be in a crowd of people and you sort of need to sort of reset by yourself, you know? Mm. So, so it's more like, it's like that, you know, like I can, I can totally do it and I, and I like doing it and I'm not necessarily only an introvert. I mean, I'm a little bit of an extrovert. I'm, I've always really liked to throw parties. Um, like I'd like, for example, I'd rather throw a party at my house than go to somebody else's party. Um, and I've always been really good at just balancing all that stuff. That's, you know, having good vibes and everyone was always like, this is the best party. I'm having so much fun, you know, like, and I think that that kind of vibe is that kind of thing is obviously super 
important for a photo shoot because a photo shoot is basically like throwing a party. And, um, you know, the music is super important. The food is super important. The, the energy and the vibe is super important. And, you know, as the host of a party and as the, as the photographer on a, or a director on a photo shoot or, or film video shoot, your, your energy and your demeanor and your, your vibe is going to sort of travel out to everybody. And if you're smiling and happy and everyone's having fun, then everything's all dandy. And that's great. You know, then everything goes smoothly. So, um, so like, you know, even if, if something, something little goes wrong or something, I shoot, you know, I, I'm never, I don't ever yell at anybody or, you know, I'm always trying to sort of, I'm always laughing and having everyone just trying to have fun. And, uh, you know, everything's, everything's, it's important that everything's super buttoned up in advance so that, so that no mistakes, you know, so nothing is falling through the cracks and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, you also say on that bio that you consider yourself a workaholic. Is that true? Are you a workaholic? I need to, I need to update that bio. Um, I used to be a workaholic. Okay. I was a workaholic up until, I don't know, a few years ago. And I've just, I've gotten a little bit, I mean, I'm like, I'm like older now, you know? Do you think so, the pandemic has been a good influence in that way for people with when it comes to work-life balance? Like sort of opening our eyes to what's important? I mean, the thing is I had already sort of burned out a little bit on being a workaholic. Like I used to work nights and weekends and do book projects and fine art projects when I wasn't shooting and and all that kind of stuff. Um, but But I already knew that that was what was important. I mean, I wasn't, you know... And that's, you know, that's the, that's another thing that's sort of frustrating about being a commercial photographer, I think, is um, that you're never, you're not, I mean, there's a lot of things, a lot of industries that are like this, but you're not really in charge of your schedule. So, you know, if someone invites, like one of your best friends invites, their, invites you to their wedding, or if you have to go to your kid's graduation thing, and like, then there's a job on that same day, like you're screwed. You have to do the job. You can't go to your kid's graduation. You can't go to your friend's wedding. And you, and like, so you miss you know, so that's, that kind of sucks. Um, you have to be available. Otherwise you don't get called next time around, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. All right. I want to start talking about your work because I'm personally a huge fan of your work. And that was one of the reasons I've wanted to get you on for some time on on our podcast here. Um, so take us back a little bit. I mean, again, not every listener maybe is completely familiar, but um, you certainly really exploded when the monkey portrait thing got going, I think. Yeah. Um, and, and it also, um, I, I want to touch on, because <laughs> you're probably tired of talking about this, but when you did the monkey portraits, followed by the bear portraits, followed by, you know, uh, horses and Urson Ur- got in there as well. Um, and, then, and then end times, the crying kids. And this is sort of magic lighting formula that you created that suddenly is like copied and emulated everywhere. In fact, in our own program, one of our professors has a, an assignment where it's the Jean Gr- uh, Jill Greenberg lighting setup. And uh, how do you feel about that today? Like, it, did it used to bug you that other people were copying your, your technique? Were you flattered? How do you feel about it today? I feel the same as I've always felt it annoys me. <laughs> I'll be sure to tell my uh, fellow professor that. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, sure, it's flattering. It's cool. Um, it's random that this thing that I sort of developed, you know, obviously by looking at a lot of other stuff. I mean, like, there's people who, they're, they're, that lighting is, you know, it's cobbled together from looking at a lot of different things. And um, 
it's not like I invented rim lights um, and and the halo a spotlight behind a person and um, it was just the it was the front being like super shiny quality the using the combination of the two lighting um, lighting modulators that I have on the front plus my retouching plus the fact that it was shot on film um, that made you know sort of a specific quality you know no one it's weird because people teach it. And people got all into it and people, there was all these, there were all these, uh, you, you know, tutorials on YouTube in like, you know, a million different languages. Um, and no one, people weren't even teaching it the right way. People were saying, this is how we do it, you know? And I'm like, that's not how I do it. So that's mm-hmm. weird. And, um, I mean, there, you know, unfortunately when I shot Gwen Stefani's album cover, there was someone doing behind the scenes video. And so my lighting was on video, was on camera for that. Uh-huh. And so that was like when it, you know, that's where people could go to see how I actually did the lighting. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was weird. I was just watching a documentary yesterday and the talking head portion of the documentary looked like my crying babies. And I'm like, that's just so weird. And everybody in the documentary was crying also. Like it was, it had, you know, it had nothing to do with anything, but they were all these grown men and all these different people were sort of crying because it was very emotional. And I, and I'm just like, this is, pretty clearly someone had that picture in their mood board for the lighting with the crying guy, crying people. Right. Um, anyway, but um, I don't know. I mean, it's cool. It's cool to have that kind of impact, I guess. Um, but the other problem is, you know, so I did that in 20 that I did. So the lighting, that's like, that's my monkey lighting. And I, I invented that lighting for my monkeys um, in 2001 was the like October of 2001 was the first monkey that I photographed. And, and then I did the crying babies after that. And then I did the bears and then I did the horses and glass ceiling. Hmm. Um, but, um, but what was I going to say? I don't know what I was going to say. Okay. Um, oh, I was going to say that it's a long time ago. Yeah. I was going to say that I did. I, so it's 2021 and I did the first time I shot that lighting was in, you know, 2001, 20 years ago. And so to me, kind of ancient history, it's, you know, it's obviously very dated. And I think I've worked pretty hard to try to convince people that I don't only do that lighting. I mean, there was, there was a time though, because that lighting became kind of popular and mm-hmm. people were copying it, um, that it became so synonymous with my name that it kind of hurt business. And it made it so that people, I said, you know, I'd go to a magazine like, oh, I'd love to shoot for you. And they were like, well, we don't need that crying. We don't need that look. Right. And, and the thing is, I sort of knew that was going to happen because I, yeah. something similar happened in the 90s. I was doing, you know, colored gels, wide angle, um, cross processing pictures, you know, and people thought that I only did that. Right. And so when I started doing the crying babies and monkeys, you know, I was purposely still doing like black and white daylight and all different kinds of stuff. But that that work had so much strength, I guess, that people didn't pay attention to my other work. It's interesting. I've had conversations with other photographers and I say, you know, it's really interesting. If you even think about some of the, the most famous photographers we know, they're probably known for less than a dozen images. Is you right? You know what I mean? Like if you say Karsh, what comes to mind? Winston Churchill. If you yeah. say Avedon, what comes to mind? Davina and the elephants or, you know, Irving Penn, the lady with the hat, you know, the black and white. So there's like these iconic images that every photographer is known for. Um, and I think to me, looking at your work, um, 
for sure one of the crying babies would be there. One of the monkeys would be there. Um, and and yet the gelled images for sure would be there. Um, and and so the thing I find about going through your portfolio, and I actually in my um, portfolio and self promotion class, um, we bring your portfolio up. And I and I'm and I'm always sort of astounded by the versatility in your portfolio, the variety of work. The, and it's like you're saying, it's like, I don't want to be known just as the person that does the, the monkeys or, or babies. I want to be known for being a skilled photographer that can do all these things. And it seems to me looking at your portfolio that you have proven that, that you can do just about anything and do, it, and do it really well. Thank you. Yeah, but then it like confuses people. Like I've gone, I've gone like crazy. I'm like, I'm taking pictures of wet paint now. Like people are just like, what is Jill doing? I don't well, know. <laughs> that's, a, that's a tricky thing, right? It's like a lot of people will say you should specialize. You should be like known for one thing. But um, as the pandemic has shown many photographers, if you do one thing and it happens to be weddings, guess what? You're not working for the next year and a half to two years. Right. So if you have variety in your portfolio and you show people that I can do this, I can do that. I can, there's a lot of things I can do. I think the tricky part of that is how we market it. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I mean, cause I was doing lifestyle when I was, when I basically, when I had kids and I, when I lived in LA, I was photographing my young kids or I'd go to birthday parties or whatever. And I was doing all, I started doing basically lifestyle and people are like, what do you mean? You do, you don't do lifestyle. I'm like, yeah, I do lifestyle. So people, you know, and it's not like someone's going to necessarily hire me for just a lifestyle job. Although I, you know, I did, that did happen. Um, I thought it was more important to like, you know, if there was, if there was a job where it had studio and lifestyle that I would have enough lifestyle to get that, you know, mm-hmm. I just didn't want to be counted out. Um, but, but the thing is I like doing all different things. Yeah. I like, and I even like doing still life to a certain extent. I mean, like my, my painting images are, are still life. And then I've been, I photographed some, some letters, some like, you know, custom made lettering, you know, which was basically tabletop. And, I mean, I like doing, I like a lot of different things. I mean, I don't really like, I'm not going to be into shooting like splashes and liquids, That that would be just too annoying for me. Like <laughs> food. I don't want to do Yeah. I don't want to do Talk like to me, people. talk to me about your um, Google Grand Station pop-ups, those portraits you did. You did 182 portraits in two days, which is a lot of portraits in two days. How much time did you like think, did you actually schedule or plan how much time each person got? Or was this a fairly spontaneous thing? Like how, how first of all, how did it come about? Did Google ask you to do this or how, yeah, how did this happen? Ad, there was an ad agency that reached out to me. Okay. And um, what was interesting is that they weren't allowed to publicize it for some reason. I don't know why they weren't allowed to like, they weren't allowed to publicize it. I don't, I don't, I don't know why. But so the entire thing was basically um, marketed or announced on my social media, which was cool. Um, so just people that followed me on Instagram came to Grand Central. Um, and um, and yeah, there was, someone was organizing it. I mean, someone made a schedule or there was places that people could sort of sign up. Um, I wasn't really in charge of that. Um, but we scheduled it. I mean, people had like five minutes each or something or three or five minutes each. Okay. Um, yeah, that was a record. I mean, before that I had done the most portraits I had done was like over around 50, 55 in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, for like a few days in a row I did of the universal studios, um, executives for their corporate retreat yearbook yearbook, which was, um, 
and that that those were done in like that style um kind of the crying baby style but a little bit more like i don't know it's similar to the crying baby style anyway. the tricky part for me in this uh interview with you jill is that there's so much i want to try to talk about today with you because there's so much in your career to talk about and we've just sort of touched on end times we've touched on the monkey portraits i'm just going to say to any of our photographer listeners uh, if you don't know quite what we're referring to here um you just want to google um uh, Jill's website, and then go and look at End Times, uh, Monkey Portraits, all these different things, and uh, and you can sort of get the whole background on a lot of those things. End Times, of course, there was some controversy there um, where you got a bit of a backlash, maybe a lot of backlash, where people said, oh, she's a photographer that makes babies cry, which of course wasn't true. Parents were involved in that, not you directly. But um, very, very interesting because you've made the point that babies do cry, and why are we so upset about that? Um, I couldn't agree more. I couldn't yeah, they, agree more. It's, yeah, it's how they communicate. Um, it doesn't mean that they're in pain. Um, yeah. And a lot of times they're sort of manipulating us. So I'm trying to think of dates right now because I took pictures of my son in my studio. And and I was doing it for a local clothing company. And, um, and he was hungry, so we gave him a banana. And then when the banana was done, he started crying. And I kept shooting. And I've kept this picture for years. Now, he was born in 1990, and he's now 30. So I don't even know how old he was. Maybe maybe three or four. I don't even know. But I've got this great picture of my son, and he's just bawling. But I love it. I think it's a great picture of him because, yeah, he cried when he was little. And why does every picture of our kids have to represent cheerful, happy? Because that's not real, right? Right. So um, I just don't understand what all that controversy was all about anyway. All right. Um, I mean, it, it's, I don't know if I should bring this up, but you know, it turns out it kind of was gendered. Oh, really? I think it was gendered. Okay. Someone pointed that out to me. Someone, someone said that to me. Um, I did it. I did a TEDx talk and they, there was a, there was a man there who was specialized in sort of fatherhood and seeing things through a very gendered lens. And he said that was a completely gendered attack on you. Um, well, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I, so I've, you know, you start sort of realizing, um, you know, a lot of things, obviously when people attack women, it's a lot of times it's not just for what they've done. It's because yeah. of the women. Okay. Well, that might be a good segue so that we can talk about, uh, already made in 2018, you, um, you basically founded this idea called already made. Can you tell our listeners about the glass ceiling in commercial photography? I mean, it's it's kind of changing and already made. Um, I mean, I, I was sort of hoping. So basically, you know, again, I was I asked I was asked to do this TEDx talk, and so they probably just wanted me to talk about my work, and for for me, that's kind of boring. So I thought I've been I had been sort of working on this sort of essay about about the gender bias in photography, like there's a gender bias in everything because we live in a patriarchy, and. Um, I mean, ultimately, already made was really just supposed to be a, a listing website, so it, it fulfilled that. You know, it wasn't it wasn't trying to get people jobs, and there's no agents, there's no. It was just me and my studio manager just doing it, and so. Well, it got it, me thinking. It got me thinking, and one of the things that it got me thinking about is, if there's a problem for female commercial photographers getting work that they're fully capable of getting, is it also true then that? The the disparity doesn't just lie there. The disparity also lies in the people that give out those jobs, the art directors, the editors. Is that well, mostly? They're the ones who are doing making those decisions. Right. So 
there's there's one of the problems in itself. And yet you've you've mentioned that the majority of students that enroll um, in in photography programs, right, in post secondary education are are female. Yes. Yeah. No. I mean, it's just the world that we live in. I mean, you can't like blame one person. You can't blame a group of people because everyone is brought up thinking that men are more capable than women. Um, it's just the way it is. Mm. Um, people, you know, I've been, you know, I directed music videos in like the early nineties and, you know, it was really hard for me to try to get into directing as well. People are like, well, we have to take a chance on you. And I'm like, <laughs> really? it's not really a chance. I've been doing this for such a long time. You know, it's, it's just the way the world is. Um, and, but, but at the same time, it's, it is, it's changing a lot. It's changed a lot in the past two, three, four years. Um, for, the and, better. And, for the better, yeah, you're saying. Better, exactly. So women are getting, women are getting a lot more jobs. Um, mm-hmm. Women are getting a lot more covers. Women are being hired by other women. Um, it's so that's it's been really great. Well, that's good to hear. Um, I do want to keep talking. You just said talking about my work is boring. Sorry, but I want to go and talk no. about your work a little bit more. Um, your ionographs, I think, are just so cool, so amazing, and it and it's definitely like wall worthy. This is art. Um, and I'm looking at it and I'm saying, what is this? This is looking like to me a cross between X-ray and Carillion aura. Um, how do you describe it? Like wh- what, first of all, led you to create these images? And is this a secret recipe? Do you, do you not want to share kind of what it is or how you do it? Like, but I'm I, just, I'm fascinated by them. Actually, I'm actually having a little bit of a moment trying to figure out my ionographs because I really, really like them. I mean, and I guess, you know, you like them and other, some other people like them, but I'm trying to figure out, in fact, if they're wall worthy. I'm trying to figure out, and I actually have a call with my gallerist after this, and my other, and my Toronto gallerist actually tomorrow, um, because, like I said, I really, really like them. And, but I think that people look at them like they're just like a filter. Kind oh, of. really? Yeah. I mean, as someone who's obviously, as you know, like, as a photographer, there's no filter that does that. No. We know, the thing is that we know that, right? Photographers right. But let's not talk about it because some guy is going to invent an app for the iPhone that does that, right? Well, you can't. Maybe. Maybe, <laughs> you Maybe you Who knows, right? But the way that I do it, no, that's possible. It's, it's possible. Someone can invent an app. Um, you know, we can send someone to the moon. I'm sure someone can make an app that does that. But, um, but the thing is, it's like I... So I, it's something that I sort of stumbled upon. Um, and I can tell you that I, I basically do it in capture and I do it. It takes me a really long time to get it to look like that. And, you know, it's a lot of visual decisions that I do to get, to get the colors right and to get the shapes right. And, um, and, you know, it was a lot of them are pictures of me. So I sort of, I never, I've never really done a series of self-portraits and, you know, a few years ago I started shooting self-portraits and I thought maybe it was like, I was sort of had these like silly jokes. Like it's safe to shoot self-portraits now that I'm 50 over 50 because like you can't really totally be accused of being vain. Of course, I'm sure I can still be <laughs> accused of being vain. Um, but, um, like I was saying, it's safe to shoot grizzly bears. Grizzly bears are safer than shooting children because I don't, I won't get attacked by the blogosphere. I'll just get, get attacked by grizzly bear and then I'll be dead. It'd be fine. Right. Um, but anyway, um, so 
so yeah, the ionographs, that's a made up name and that I came up with because for this little technique that I did. And, and lately I've been printing them on canvas and then oil painting over them because I was like, well, if people think they're a filter, maybe if I turn them into something completely handmade, like an oil painting, then maybe that will sort of solve the problem and people will feel, but, but no matter what, I've been showing them to some people and they're like, but they, but they look like they're a filter. It looks like, you know, people think they're heat maps or, you know, things like that. Um, so I'm just, I'm really on the fence. I'm really not sure what I'm going to do with my ionographs. Um, and I'm working on a bunch of other, you know, fine art projects in the meantime that I'm, uh, yeah, I have, I mean, I, I always have like a, a, ideas are not the problem. The problem is like deciding which ones to do right. and trying to figure out what, and then, and I really like, and I really like when my work um, like resonates with people and connects with people. So, so as much as I love my ionographs, if like 60 or 70% or whatever, there's no like official number, but if a lot of people don't, aren't into them, then I probably won't, I won't necessarily continue them. Um, because I mean, I want, I'm looking for a way to support myself with my art. Right. I don't want to just make a whole bunch of things that nobody wants. Right. Um, I do it for myself, but I also do it for other people and to also hopefully sell them. So, um, so it's just all like confusing because I like I, like a few weeks ago or whatever, a few months ago, I photographed some flowers, which I just I used. I printed really big as a big backdrop for a photo for a celebrity photo shoot because like there was no money. But I have this big Epson printer and I'm like, oh, I'm going to photograph these flowers like super like um, soft and abstract so that there's sort of colors and shapes for this this woman's this uh, magazine cover. And everyone, I posted some of them and they're like, oh my God, your flowers are amazing. And I'm like, oh my God, am I going to shoot flowers now? That's like so <laughs> insane. That's so ridiculous, flowers. Um, but I'm like, well, maybe I can like put something, think about like maybe, you know, there's this one that people love that's like looks really sexual. I'm like, maybe I'll just photograph flowers that look hey, super it worked sexual. For, it worked for Robert Mapplethorpe, right? George O'Keefe. George O'Keefe as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, why not? Um, what about your, uh, now I don't even know how to pronounce this. I'm going to try my best. Simulacrum impasto, correct? Oh, no, no, no. Oh, that's the description of the painting. A simulacrum. Oh, that's, that's your other kind of work. Yeah. My quote unquote paintings. Yes. Paint, which I yes. say they are, they are a simulacrum of impasto. It's, it's, a, I'm just saying that it's a fake, they're fake impasto, a simulacrum. Right. right. Because the whole point of impasto is the texture. You see all this thick paint. And right. So, was your reason for um, photographing that to control how people see it? Because I would assume that if you are hanging, let's say, um, something with that impasto texture, depending on the light you're looking at, it could look very different each time, you know, depending on the light. So when you take that three-dimensional area and now you decide, I'm going to light it this way, and then I'm going to photograph mm -hmm. it, and now it becomes even more two-dimensional – like, are you, are you taking control? Is that, is that the purpose of this or? No, that wasn't the purpose. The purpose okay. was, I mean, that's, that's related, but the purpose was, um, was, uh, basically so many people, it's the, the purpose is like the, the dynamic and the little, the war, if you will, between painting and photography and the way that a lot of painters, you know, steal images and paint them. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, and if like, and then for me personally, you know, especially with the crying babies, people all the time, they'll take the, they'll, they say like, Oh, I love your crying baby photos. I'm going to turn it into a painting and sell it. 
And I'm like, that's not really that cool. No. And, you know, because it's not a snapshot. You know, if someone wants to, like, I mean, even if it's a, you know, a news photo and someone wants to paint it, that's still somebody's property. But, 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 but nevertheless, I mean, in my case, it's like something that's lit with like seven lights and like digitally painted. It's like photoshopped by me and painted by me. And so to me, I feel like the way that people think about photography, where it's like people think of it as swipe or scrap, you know, like I've gone to meetings at agencies and sometimes like, I don't, I don't even have the crying babies in my port, my, my commercial portfolio anymore. But back when I did, they're like, Oh yeah, I used some of those as scrap for a job. And I'm like, that's so nice of you that you found it's like, it doesn't belong in the garbage then. So anyway, so it's, it's like, it's just, they don't care. Wow. Whatever. But the point is, you know, no respect. No, no respect. It's fine. Whatever. It is what it is. It's not fine. Wow. Okay. But the point is, you know, so painters, and I'm and having now gotten you know back into painting myself. I mean, I get it. I get the the impetus, the the impulse to want to take a photograph and turn it into a painting, especially for somebody who has no idea how to take a decent photo, and they just like they're like, oh, that's a really cool photo. I'm going to make that into a painting. Um. So anyway, the painting, the quote unquote paintings are they're like me playing with wet paint. They're not necessarily at, up and up until this point, And, and that's, this might change. They're pretty much abstract paintings. They're not, I mean, I have painted some figures and, and photographed those, but they're very, they're relatively small. And I, so I blow them up. So it's about blowing up the, the gesture of the paint stroke and things like that from like something that might be like two inches to something that could be like four feet. So that's, that's really cool. And then, and also there were stencils of light. Like, you know how you can put, you can take a softbox and you can put a stencil, you could put, you could put like stars on a softbox. And then the stars, you know, will reflect on the wet paint wherever the, the angle hits it the right way. Right. So you can stencil things like how you stencils for spray paint, you can stencil light. So I was stenciling light onto those paintings. Wow. And, um, so there'd be little stars or little lightning bolts, or sometimes there would be like words like ha ha or fuck, because fuck is funny. And um, so that'll say like fuck everywhere. Or like one time there was a little clusterfuck that just like naturally happened. I thought that was the best thing ever. Clusterfuck, naturally occurring clusterfuck. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's awesome. Because it got all like distorted and little fucks in each direction kind of. Anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the paintings are about the dy- the dynamic and the, the, the war between photo- photography and painting. And, um, and so people are like, I'm, you know, I'm painting from photographs and I'm like, well, I'm photographing from paintings. So there you go. And the best, the best thing is that you're doing it with integrity because you come from both worlds. So I love that. Um, in, in a few th- interviews that I've researched for you, you have mentioned a couple of different times that you would love to be doing more fashion photography. And I certainly think you have the chops for that. So my question is, are you still pursuing that idea? Um, and I'm assuming it's a tough genre to get into when you're working in other areas. Um, it's probably even more a boys club in a sense, regardless of whether it's like gender aside, it's kind of a boys club, probably for the fashion industry. It was, it was, yeah. it's, I, you know, now there, I mean, there's, there's sexism and now there's ageism, right? So, and so I've been doing this for a long time and it may not look my age, but nevertheless I am. And, you know, it's just hard when you're branded a certain way that people aren't going to be like, 
no one's going to necessarily think that you, they're not going to call you for a fashion shoot. They're like, what, what other fashion have you done? You know, it's the chicken and egg thing. Hmm. Um, so, so have you ever felt the urge to just prove yourself, like just grab some models and go do it and say, Hey, I can do this. Yeah. I've done some fashion. I mean, and basically that when a lot of times, I mean, obviously when, you know, you're doing a six, six page story for a magazine with a celebrity, it, it is a fashion shape. That's true. And, um, and like I've been shooting for this magazine boys by girls that I found, it's a cool magazine. And that those are all fashion shoots. Okay. They're celebrity, they're celebrity fashion shoots. Um, so that's fun. So I guess I am doing a little, I am doing more fashion, but I, but I, what I really like doing also is beauty and cause I love faces. So I like, I mean, I love beauty no matter what beauty's fun. Um, but, but I like, I think I like men's beauty even more. Um, and I thought that that would be, it was more interesting is interesting from a, like a heterosexual female photographer's view of men's beauty. So I was, you know, I don't know. It's just hard to get, I mean, I, what's hard is that I'm doing too many things, honestly, ever since, mm-hmm. basically since, uh, I don't know, since maybe like 2015 or so I've gotten sort of pulled in a lot of directions. I've allowed myself to get pulled in a lot of directions. I was like working on a TV show. I've been trying to do film and I've been also now trying to get into like commercial directing a little bit. So it's, I'm doing too many things and it's not good. The reason I was successful early on is that I just did commercial photography and then I started doing some fine art photography and it was just those two things. Okay. But are you having fun? I'm definitely having fun. That's the important thing, right? Um, I saw in your Instagram story, oh, I don't know when I saw this, months back, months back, you were kind of directing a student. I think it was like a remote computer-led thing. So I got this sense like, whoa, like, are you teaching somebody? Are you teaching a class here? What's going on? So are you teaching? I am teaching. I'm teaching teaching at Brown. Oh, awesome. I know. It's cool. Um, So I started, that was my first class teaching at Brown. I think I'm teaching another class this coming summer. They have their broke their semester into three instead of two because of COVID. Um, So that's remote. And that's the first time I've really ever taught. And it was great. I love it. Um, uh, it's not ideal by any stretch to teach a studio class in, on zoom. True. Um, I would have loved to, you know, be very hands-on with the, you know, with lighting and all that kind of stuff with people. Um, but yeah, I mean, I went to RISD and so, I mean, it's interesting to have, you know, studio arts program at Brown. It's, you know, not necessarily known for their art as much. Um, but it's really cool. They're all very smart students and they're, and it was really great to, uh, they're just a few, like three or four years older than my own daughter. Um, so it's interesting. And they can be so inspiring, right? Like, yes. yeah. that's what I love about teaching is like some of these students, I, they, it's a hand in an assignment and I look at it and I go, wow, like I'd love to have that in my portfolio. Where did you come up with that? Right. Yep. It's fantastic. Um, all right. Um, couple of things I guess I'm going to ask you, which is sort of, you know, the norm thing to ask in these kinds of things to finish is um, what inspire, what photographers inspire you? <clears throat> and that can be living or dead, whatever. Um, who, who has influenced you in your career photography wise and who inspires you today? So that's a question. That's an interesting question because I mean, I, um, I really, I really, 
I look at photography, of course. I look at photography, um, and I it's everywhere, and I and I read magazines. Um, but uh, I really what I look at even more is is painting and and other stuff because I I I come to I came to photography. I mean, I was drawing and painting my whole life, and but I was taking photos my, ever since I was little too. Like, but I was drawing and painting first, and. Um, and I planned on going to art school for illustration. I guess I didn't think about being a, a, just a painter. I thought of doing drawing and painting, you know, but for commercial purposes. So I could, I was like, you know, I need to make a living. Um, so for me, when I started doing photography, it was like a way of making pictures faster. I thought, of course, you know, turns out it's not faster and it's much more expensive to actually rent a bear than just to paint a bear. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. They're not just hanging around in the street corners. No, no. And then, you know, all the retouching and the money and this and that. But, um, but so that's why I'm, so, I mean, you know, like I go to art fairs and, um, and I look at galleries and, and I'm just super excited about looking at painters and, you know, so like, I really like you know, I, I, back in high school, what I really looked at was, you know, the Surrealists and Francis Bacon and um, Chagall and, um, you know, just a lot of different, a lot of different painters are what really excited me. Um, but, you know, back, you know, back in the day, I remember I really used to love Nick Knight and I liked, and of course I liked Penn and Avedon. Uh, and, and I looked at fashion photography as well. And then I remember there was like a turning point when I was at RISD. I was like, I was I loved all these fashion photographers. And, I, and then I realized they're all male fashion photographers. And they're all like, what are they doing to these women? Hmm. <laughs> so, so that was like a little moment. Um, Is that and, advice you would give to young photographers? Would you say you should probably immerse yourself as much in art as you do uh, looking at other photographers? Oh, sure. For sure. Because of looking at color, looking at gesture. I think that was actually, you know, that was one of the... Um, that was one of the main things that I was happy with that I, you know, passed on to my, the Brown students about taking pictures of people, um, is gesture, gesture, gesture is, you know, when I, you know, photographing people, you know, the gesture and the movement in the image is, and the emotion is, it's all so important. And, and, and one thing that I think is kind of crazy is how much um how popular some photographers are who don't take into account emotion and gesture hmm. um and they're they work all the time for example and like there there's like no emotion in the image um which is weird but anyway uh yeah i mean i just think i think looking at fine art and looking at um what, you know, the emotion that you feel in, you know, with an image or just figuring out like, what's the most important thing that, you know, when you're looking at something and, and then you think like, you know, that's, you, you know, you want to bring that to your own work. Um, Mm. because there's obviously there's a million things, you know, there's a lot of things going on in each and it's everything that you look at, but you have to sort of, you know, take it apart until you can put it back together for yourself. That's very profound. I'm going to dwell on that thought quite a bit after this. I think the gesture that's not, you know, I haven't really spent a lot of time on that, but now that you have brought that to my attention, I am going to invest time in that very thought. 
So uh, finally, thank you so much for taking this time with us today. I am going to ask my last obligatory question, which is um, always a difficult one. And that is, what advice would you give to anyone, young or old, considering a career in photography? And would you give the same advice to both genders? Um, yeah, I guess I give the same advice to both genders. I would just say that it's gotten, you know, ever since when I started in the early nineties, it was hard, but it's, it's exponentially much more, it's, it's much more competitive. There are so many more photographers. So really I would say, take a whole, like take a long, hard look in the mirror. You know, do you think that you, do you want to, I mean, it's, it's great being a photographer. Uh, there's a lot of great things about it, but the, you know, you want it, you have to be willing to work nights and weekends 24 seven, giving up like your social life and your personal life, not giving it up, but really, you know, prioritizing your photography career. Hmm. Uh, and, and, you know, it's just, it's a, you have to work really hard for a really long time and there's no you can't ever really rest on your laurels because there are always new hot photographers coming up behind you. Cause it's definitely uh, an industry that, um, that always likes the hot new thing. I mean, there, you know, there are some people who, I mean, even, you know, even in the eighties, nineties, people who used to be huge photographers would become out of vogue and, and not, and not work as well. But it's that, that trend has, you know, escalated and, and gotten worse, you know, as, because there are every year so many new photographers coming out of the gate. So, you know, you just, and what else, the other thing I would say is um, to diversify, like if you ever do make some money, you know, try to figure out like to try to diversify your financial situation uh, so that you're not only, because it is, if you're, if you ever do get to be working all the time and hot at the moment, it's, probably not going to, it might seem like that's that you've made it and that you're going to be like that forever, but it's not going to happen because it won't last longer than three, four, five years. Um, and you gotta, you haven't have to have, you sort of have to have an exit strategy. You have to have, you have to have some like, you know, save your pennies, save your, put away some money kind of thing because it's, it doesn't last. I mean, you can try really hard to make it last for a long time, but it's really, really tough. Yeah. So what does that mean for you future? I don't know what it means for me. Um, I don't see you retiring anytime soon. Not that you're close to that age, of course, but I'm just saying like, can you see that for your future? Like I, I, for me, my, my friends and that, they say like, well, now that you're teaching, you don't need your studio anymore. And I'm like, I can't give up my studio. I still need to shoot. Yeah. Um, do you feel that way? Yeah, no, I think I don't want to ever, I'm not going to like say no to jobs, you know, like, yeah, I'm not sure. I think, and I think about it, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. You're going to leave us guessing. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll end there, but we'll all hope that there are more books coming and more exhibits and more brand new work from Jill Greenberg, because you're such a talented photographer and artist. And we just love, I love looking at your work and I'm looking forward to the new work that's heading our way. Okay. Thank you. Thanks for being with us, Jill. Appreciate it so much. Okay. Thanks for joining us on the Photo Pros Podcast. 
We hope you'll subscribe. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, we'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes. Again, thanks for listening.